This is the catchy theme song. This is the catchy theme song. Okay, I'm going to make you really uncomfortable for like 10 seconds. Okay, so if you're just listening to this and you're not watching the video, I'll just explain what I'm showing. I'm showing a picture of a meme that I just found on the internet. And at the top, there are big bold letters that say, thank you, Jesus. And then underneath that, there are three pictures. In the first picture, there's an image of a girl with her hands in the air. And it says underneath that for helping me find my car keys. Beside that, there's another picture of, I believe it's Tim Tebow. And he has his praying hands in the air. And underneath his picture, it says for letting me throw that touchdown. Then the third and final picture is a young boy who looks like he's about to die of starvation. You can see all of his bones and he looks absolutely terrified and helpless. And underneath that picture, it says nothing. Now, in all likelihood, that's an atheist meme intended to be a direct attack against the goodness of the God of the Bible. And that meme should make you kind of uncomfortable. It's hard to look at. And if your first reaction when you see that meme is, oh, I've got to get my apologetics and there's an argument and I I can reason my way out of this, like that probably isn't the best response to have to something like that. I, I think the first response should be sort of an empathetic heart hurt as you see that last frame of a starving child. I think that would be a proper first response to have rather than how can I theologically argue with this? I think the first response is to allow the sobriety of that image sink in. But you do need a response like you you kind of are put in a position where you're backed into a corner and now you kind of need to respond. So what's the response to that? Well, if you rack your brain and you can't really think of a good response to that meme, I would say that you're not alone. I would say that there are probably a lot of Christians out there who can't really formulate a good response to suffering in the world, which is ultimately what that meme is getting at. Why is there suffering in the world to this degree? And how do you believe in a God who gives you all these little things throughout your day yet fails to provide food for a starving child? And I would say that one of the reasons the response to an argument like that is so difficult for so many Christians is because mainstream Christian culture has come to be dominated by a type of Christianity that is actually not really orthodox Christianity. It's actually a different type of Christianity that is fluffy and spineless and doesn't really offer a lot of substance, especially when it comes to addressing difficult topics like how is there suffering in the world and God is good. It's a sort of fluffy type of Christianity that is intended to be very palatable for the average churchgoer. It's soft, it's gentle, it's therapeutic, It's easy to listen to, easy to think about, and it offers almost entirely positive messages that are intended to encourage you and lift you up. Now, in the last episode, we talked about how I believe the core problem of the American church is money, and then that money in turn causes the church culture to turn into a business. So if you haven't watched that yet, I would highly recommend going back and watching that first. And this episode, I think will make more sense, at least as far as understanding where I'm going with this, because this type of Christianity is, I believe, the byproduct of a business-like church. What is the theology that comes out of a businessy church that is more money-oriented than it is ministry-oriented? Because this is a type of Christianity that 
affirms a wealthy and comfortable lifestyle. This type of Christianity says your purpose in life is to be happy and cozy and comfortable and God exists to make sure that happens. And if you obey him, generally, God will be there for you to make sure that happens, to make sure that you live a blessed and comfortable life. Now, that message will get people in the doors. That message makes attending church and listening to sermons pretty easy. It's not very uncomfortable to hear a message like that, that God exists to make you happy. And we want for you to be happy and comfortable. That affirms the affluent American lifestyle. And if you're a business, that is a good message to preach to get people in the door. And look, I am by no means the first person to make this observation. In fact, people were making this observation back in the early 2000s, I believe like 15 or 16 years ago. In the book, Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers, Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist, Lundquist, Denton Lundquist, I think that's how you say that, made the observation that when they took a poll of teenagers, they found that what they believed was not classic Christianity as we understand it, but was actually sort of an aberrant form of Christianity, which they called moralistic therapeutic deism. And I'm going to get into what that means in a moment. But for right now, I think it's worth noting that the youth 15 years ago are no longer the youth. Now they're the adults. And I think that this belief has come to define most of Christianity. It's hard for me to say most. A lot of Christianity has been defined by this moralistic therapeutic deism. See, those youth have now grown up into adults. And I believe that that theology has gone far outside of just some youth groups. I think now that is kind of the theology of mainstream Christianity is this moralistic therapeutic deism. And now I think it's important we take a moment to define what that is, because it sounds really intimidating, all those big words kind of jumbled together. But if you break down them word for word, like if you look at what each individual word means, it makes total sense. So let's start with moralistic. Now you see the word moral. So immediately you should be thinking about what you do, right or wrong, things like that. And that's exactly what it means. Moralistic refers to the set of rules that you're supposed to follow, which I guess would be the Bible. And if you follow those rules, God rewards you by giving you a blessed life and ultimately good people go to heaven. That's the moralistic element of moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, this isn't about being perfect. This is about being good. Those are two different things. And many Christians believe this. Good people go to heaven. That's not really the gospel. Now, to be fair, there are a lot of rules in the Bible and we as Christians are expected to follow those rules. But following God's law does not earn you his favor. That's the crucial difference. God does not look for those who are following his law and then give them riches or give them a wealthy, comfortable, happy lifestyle. That's not how it works. In fact, a lot of times following the law of God causes tension and friction in your life. And at least in my experience, and I think in a lot of other people's experiences as well, when you are faithful to the law of God, you actually become less comfortable. You tend to suffer more and you lose a lot of wealth and comforts that you have because you're trying to be faithful to God. So actually the opposite kind of happens, the opposite result, but it's partially true. There are rules in scripture that we're expected to follow and Christians follow rules. The difference is salvation comes first and then we obey the rules out of a desire to serve and love Christ not to earn his favor. It's totally different. The the order is totally flipped. In moralistic therapeutic deism, salvation equals faith plus good works. 
In classical Christianity, faith equals salvation plus works. The order is flipped, but that difference makes all the difference in your theology. So that's moralistic. Let's talk about therapeutic. Now, this one should be the easiest to understand because we all know what the word therapy means. And that's pretty much it. Christianity in moralistic therapeutic deism is treated like a therapy. So when you go to listen to sermons, when you listen to a song or read a book, a lot of times it's treated like a drug or a pill that you take and then you feel better about yourself. It's like an instant hit. It's a rush. It's a high. You go to church and you're uplifted. You listen to a song on Christian radio and it lifts your spirits for the day. It gives you a boost. That's the therapeutic element. Now, to be fair again, the Bible does have a lot of therapeutic parts. You might read the Psalms or the promises of Jesus or maybe some benedictions that Paul gives and they make you feel really good. They make you feel comforted like everything's going to be okay. And that's therapeutic. The Bible is therapeutic, but that's not the main purpose of the Bible. The Bible does not exist to make you feel good about yourself. It will. And as a Christian, there are a lot of areas that do make us feel good as we read them. But there are also a lot of areas that are convicting. There are some areas that are really sad. There's some areas of the Bible that are very uncomfortable to read. So the Bible isn't just about making you comfortable and happy when you read it. There's a lot of different effects that the Bible is going to have on you. And therapy is just one of them. So that's the therapeutic part. Now let's talk about the last part, deism. This is probably the toughest word to understand because this is not a word we use all the time. In understanding what deism is, it's important to understand what theism is. And deism and theism both talk about God, but the difference is the type of God that each one talks about. In theism, God is very present and intimately involved with his creation, orchestrating the events that happen, loving his creation, serving it, things like that. That's a theistic God, one who creates and then actually interacts with his creation. Deism, on the other hand, just describes some type of God. That's where we get the word deity from. This God could be entirely absent from creation. And maybe you never even know this God exists. So some people have argued that this should be moralistic therapeutic theism. The deism comes from God's involvement with creation because the God of moralistic therapeutic deism is less involved than the God of scripture. The God of moralistic therapeutic deism is kind of like a cosmic grandpa or a Santa Claus that you go to when you need something and then he gives you what you want, provided you obey him generally and are a generally good person. You get what you want from this God. It's kind of like a grandpa that you can call when you're having a rough time and then he'll give you some money, give you some advice, or just give you a little boost for your day to help you get through whatever it is you're going through. It's a Santa Claus where you write your list, prayer, and then once you make those requests known to God, he in turn blesses you. So basically, in moralistic therapeutic deism, God is not God. You are God. That's the difference. That's the fundamental difference with moralistic therapeutic deism is God is no longer God. You are. God exists for you to make your life happy and comfortable. You don't exist for God to serve and worship him. The order is flipped. And again, that order makes all the difference. So you might be saying to yourself that this doesn't sound much like Christianity and you would be correct. This isn't Christianity. That's why it has a different name, moralistic therapeutic deism. This is kind of a different religion altogether, but it's Christianized and God is kind of forced into this theology and the Bible doesn't really work with it. But I think a lot of people don't really realize that. 
but this is everywhere. This is kind of mainstream Christianity in a lot of ways. At least there are elements of it that you can find. And once you see this, it's hard to unsee it. You'll start to see it everywhere. And in a business-like church that allows for thorny Christians, as I called them in the previous episode, Christians who have been choked out by the comforts and the desires of this world, yet continue to attend church, are going to be attracted to this kind of theology that affirms their comfortable, rich, affluent, wealthy lifestyle. This is the theology of those who are well off because it doesn't call on you to sacrifice. Instead, it calls on you to acquire more. Now, you might immediately be thinking about the health and wealth preachers, and yes, they fit into this category, but they are extreme versions of this theology. I actually think this theology pervades much more of Christian culture than people realize. I think this is present in a lot of churches and not just those who are explicitly preaching the health and wealth gospel. But I do want to use one of those health and wealth preachers to point out what I believe is the fundamental flaw in moralistic therapeutic deism. Joel Osteen is really easy to pick on, and I feel bad for him sometimes because he's kind of the favorite target for Christians. He's really easy, and a lot of times in Bible studies and small groups, people are really quick to bring him up because it's so easy to find flaws in the things that he says. So I feel bad using him, but having said that, I'm going to use him real quick as an example to point out what I believe is one of the fundamental flaws with moralistic therapeutic deism. So he's preaching this sermon and he's talking about your physical appearance. No, when you're poor, broke, and defeated, all that proves is that you're poor, broke, and defeated. It doesn't bring any honor to God. If I brought my two children up on the platform today and their clothes were all raggedy, worn out, holes in their shoes, hair not combed, you would look at me and think, what kind of father is he? It'd be a poor reflection on me. Listen, when you look good, dress good, live in a nice place, excel in your career, generous with others, that brings a smile to God's face. It brings him pleasure to prosper you. So, yeah, he, he said that, and he's not entirely wrong. If your kids are filthy and they look terrible, I mean, you probably would question whether or not you're caring for them properly. That That's a true and valid observation. But to then apply that to God and say that God is glorified by us when we're comfortable and rich and affluent. And the first thing I think of is our kids in Africa who many of them have not really had access to good clothes for most of their life. And I see these kids everywhere who have shirts below their knees that are full of holes and they're barefoot and they're walking around. They look really filthy and the parents are doing the best job they can to care for them. But some of them physically can't. I would say that they're good parents because they love their children and they're doing the best they can. And the kind of dark implication that this kind of theology brings is that those who are suffering and those who are poor are actually not blessed by God. See, that's the dark side of the prosperity gospel. And that's really, in a lot of ways, the dark side of moralistic therapeutic deism. Because if God exists to make you happy and comfortable and to bless your life, and if you generally obey God, he does those things. The implication is if you are poor or dirty or living a life that has a lot of suffering in it, It's because you don't have God's favor. It's because God is not blessing you, which would mean you're not a good person. And so what is the response of moralistic therapeutic deism to suffering? Like the meme we saw at the beginning of this episode, what's the response to that from moralistic therapeutic deism? Nothing, really nothing. I mean, if you're consistent in your logic, then you would say that 
the kid who's starving and God's not answering his cry is starving because he's not blessed by God and he's not blessed by God because he's not a good person. I mean, that's kind of, if you follow the logic, that's where it leads you. And so the response to suffering is, well, they deserve it. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Like I, and I'm trying not to misrepresent this. I'm trying not to straw man this argument, but logically that's where it leads you. And that's the conclusion you're kind of forced to make. I, I can't think of a way out of that. If you believe in moralistic therapeutic deism, that's kind of what you're forced to conclude. And that's what that meme exposes is that if God exists to make your life comfortable, to help you score a touchdown, to help you find your wallet, then you really have no response to a starving child. Like the only proper response to that is a kind of sober silence. But true Christianity sees a purpose in suffering. In fact, Jesus talks about suffering all the time. And I'm not really intending to offer a full explanation for suffering in the world. It's a super hard question, and I'm not trying to avoid that. That's just not the point of this episode. Maybe I'll do that one day in the future. But right now, I'm bringing that up just so I can point out how difficult it is to answer suffering in the world if you believe in moralistic therapeutic deism. In fact, I don't believe there really is any kind of response that you can offer. But if you believe in actual biblical Christianity, there is a better response. I'm not saying it's going to satisfy everyone, but there is a better response, the exact opposite of moralistic therapeutic deism. It's not the rich and the wealthy who are blessed. It's the poor who are blessed. And the Bible teaches that this kind of Christianity, dare we say the Christianity of the poor and the powerless and the oppressed, biblical Christianity does at least offer a partial answer to the question of how can God be good and there exists suffering. The partial answer to that, it's not totally satisfying, but it's at least a partial answer, is that Christians are called to a life of suffering. And those who are poor and those who are suffering are particularly blessed, not exclusively blessed, but particularly blessed because they are walking in the same footsteps as Jesus Christ. If you'd like to support what I'm doing, just reach out to me and let me know you're listening. That's it. If you'd like to support the work that we're doing in Africa, feel free to visit standingsidebyside.org. If you'd like to make a donation, you can go to the donate tab on that page, or you can just Venmo at standingsidebyside. Thank you so much for listening. Keep the faith.